mastering your emotions so you can be a safe space for the feminine mm, is yes. actually to me the art of masculinity so i would think it means two things to me one it's always like in the eye of the beholder so realize that it's okay to have a different view than somebody else two it's always being created and recreated uh i i think it means an openness to growth an openness to learning an openness to looking at what is masculinity in me and having curiosity about what parts are serving me and what parts maybe aren't serving me so well anymore. And so the art of masculinity is truly that. If you can master being a lion and a lamb, you've mastered masculinity. The art of masculinity to me means knowing how to gracefully dance between both the feminine flow and the structure of the masculine. This is The Art of Masculinity with your host, Johnny Elsasser. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. I have the distinct honor of having an old leader from 2nd Ranger Battalion on with me, Command Sergeant Major Mike Burke. He is a decorated Army leader who has served in the elite 2nd Ranger Battalion of the 75th Ranger Regiment and is currently a Command Sergeant Major for SFAB out of Fort Benning, Georgia. Mike has served in numerous combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan and has led men in war through some of the harshest environments and complex missions. He is a man of high integrity, grit, values, and elite level mastery in all things he applies himself to. He is always in pursuit to leave everything he touches in better shape than he received it and applies this to all areas of his life. He prides himself on constantly earning respect from everyone he encounters and doesn't expect it to be given. Being at the highest level of an enlisted soldier and serving almost 24 years in the U.S. Army, Mike is moving towards his next phase of life and shares his extensive wisdom of leadership, elite caliber mindset, and life skills in his amazing podcast, Legends of the 75th, and Always in Pursuit. I highly recommend you guys check those out. But until then, take a listen to today's episode. Make sure you guys grab a pen and paper, take down some notes, because Mike has a plethora of knowledge that he drops in this and i highly recommend soaking up every second of it all right guys enjoy the episode and i'll see you around the corner all right everyone welcome back to the art of masculinity today is an incredibly special guest for me uh you know mike burke he's he is part of 75th but also served in second ranger battalion with me some funny stories down in what were, where were we at? Was it Jacksonville, Florida, when we did Arctic way back Holy when? Holy cow. <laughs> you were there. You were there for that. Oh my Bro, God. that shit show. We went out to Daytona Beach. <laughs> I talk about that as a cautionary tale. A oh. lot. A lot. I didn't realize you were there for that. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. That was oh, wow. that was bad. Yeah, that was bad. It was I mean, it was fun, but it was also the the tail end of that was was decisions that were made that probably weren't the best. No. Oh, uh, wow. I didn't re- I didn't realize that you were you were a part of that shit show. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. We took what was that? We took that van. Uh, we took like a van of us out to to Daytona Beach. Yeah. So, yeah. So we took two vans. Um, actually yeah we took two vans we finished up the training early so what we were doing was you know just for everybody was we were doing demolition (laughs) training and this was during the the beginning days of interior breaching um you know so we were still you know talking about explosive theory and shock dynamics and all these different kind of things we had this old paper mill um at kings bay island georgia which is actually a hidden gem it's actually a really beautiful place yeah and uh we ended up getting cut short because the company that owned the property didn't, uh, they didn't expect us to be doing what we were doing for as much as we were doing it. Cause we were blowing the crap out of everything. So oh, yeah. the last day they're like, listen, you guys have to be done. Like we, people aren't coming into work, like all these different kinds of things. So we get done, we finish up the day, we pack, we load out, we got everything. We don't have to catch a flight till actually later the next morning. And you all, you know, I'm the senior NCO in charge of you this. You were. <laughs> I, do, I, I do not envy you for that one. And you guys talked me into, hey, Daytona Beach is only what? I don't know, maybe three hours. It, it wasn't that far of a drive. No. I don't remember how far no. it was. What you didn't tell me 
was it was also the international competition for high school and college cheerleading teams. I did not know. I was not armed with this information going in. And when we pulled up to Daytona Beach in those two vans, everybody else is extremely excited. I, however, am planning 15-6 or Army Investigation backwards. Like, how am I going to come out of this without losing my job? It just got into a night. And then finally, I will say, when I finally called it and I said, everybody back to the van, sent on a mass text or whatever it was, time now. Everybody got back to the vans, loaded up the vans, and you know we escaped a further incident. Yeah, yeah, we didn't. Uh, it was it, it was good that we didn't leave anybody back there. That's a hundred percent for sure. Which yes, I'm we had kind of shocked. We, <laughs> we almost shocked. we almost did. We had to do a, a, a rescue mission. There was one yeah. rescue involved. Yes. Oh man. Yep. I did. I did not realize you were part of that. Oh my god. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Me and and uh, it was me and Hildenbrandt. I think from our from uh, over uh, from Alphatraz and First yeah. Platoon. Yeah. Yeah, big old Hildenbrandt. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was good times. Well, brother, it's great to have you on the show, giving people a little bit of uh, background here. But um, I want to dive you into what I call the manly round. It's a fun way for the community to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, maybe for some of your soldiers who are still underneath you right now <laughs> to get to know you a little differently. You ready okay. to hop in, bro? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. What is your spirit animal and why? Yeah. You know, so I did do a little bit of homework, you know, in preparation for this and I've been racking my brain and cause I didn't want to come up with something that I thought was going to be dumb, but in the end, it's just, it's ultimately true. So we picked up this dog in Germany. Her name's Arcadia, and she's a mix from a blue healer, probably lab, and maybe something else. That dog's my spirit animal. I mean, she mm. just is because, you know, when I watch her, you know, she's alert, she's aware, she knows everything that's going on around the house, um, things that we don't even see, things we don't even hear. And she is the most understanding and defiant creature I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Like just the other day, literally the other day, I'm cleaning the pool out, right? And it, and they, I have two dogs and they love the water. I can't keep mm -hmm. them out of the water. But I sat them both down. I know this is going to sound stupid, okay? But I'm a father of four. <laughs> so, you know, there's always, there's always like frago meetings before we do things, you know? So yeah. I sat both of the dogs down and I clearly informed them. The pool's not for you today. Okay. You will not go into the pool. There is no pool today. I'm just cleaning this. And then we have to, I have to get you in because I have to dry them off and I have to get them inside. And I didn't want wet dogs inside and everything else. And I'm on the other side of the pool and I see her out of the corner of my eye and she's standing next to the pool and she knows I see her next to the pool and she looks at me and she knows what I'm going to tell her. And she knows that, you know, she knows she's not supposed to get in the pool. And she knows I know she's not supposed to get in the pool. And what she do? She looks at me, she cocks her head and she jumps into the pool, you know? So the point being is, is like, she's, she's my spirit animal and she is just, she's constant entertainment. Like I am sometimes, and people will tell you that I'm just, sometimes people look at me and they're like, what is he going to do next? <laughs> I love that. Cause it sounds like a lot of the people you have, uh, you know, had leadership over, uh, over your long tenured career in the military. So you're probably used to this. It's <laughs> a perfect, very true. It's perfect very... dog for you. <laughs> yeah, It's very true. I love that. That's a good one. All right. What song, whenever you hear it, no matter who's around, do you have to bust out singing along with this? Isn't like singing in your head. Like if you're on in the middle of a train, the shit comes on, you got to start just busting out with it. Yeah. So me and my wife have an agreement that we do not sing in front of each other. There's one <laughs> exception and and we will, we will just start both singing and it's uh don't stop believing by journey. Yes. Love that song. <laughs> I mean, there is other journey songs. We'll do it as well, but that's definitely the top one. When that one comes on, we're both singing and we both sing terribly. We have terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't know anybody that could sing that song very well. It's, he's so unique with his that's voice. True. So it's like, that's good so point. it's like nobody can, but it's one that everybody has to sing along with. I'm a Detroit Red Wings fan and they always play that song at the end of every Detroit Red Wings game. Cause they say, um, from South Detroit, you know, so then they shut uh, off the music, yeah. everybody screams it. 
but it's just it's one of my favorite songs of all time too but i i challenge anybody to not sing along to that song it's so that's good that's true that's true that's a fact <laughs> so good oh all right if you could pull a prank on anybody <laughs> if you can pull a prank on anybody they got to be somebody relatively well known too so yeah. it's got to be somebody everybody kind of knows and it could be in the past it could be present who would you pull a prank on and then if you know which you know a shit ton of pranks if you know a prank what would you prank them with I, i'm struggling with this one because <laughs> the prank that i want to pull is retribution for a prank that i never got to uh reciprocate um, but it's somebody that is not well known so you know like saying it out there like people aren't gonna know who he is it's chris frost yeah. i i owe him one um, but most <laughs> people don't know him so it's got to be somebody that i that most people would know and for some reason the only thing that could come to mind is the rock <laughs> That'd and, be good. and putting uh rogaine in a shampoo just because <laughs> i think it would be funny <laughs> oh that's really good it would just mess up his it would just mess up his day you know eventually hopefully <laughs> it would start growing hair or maybe it would yeah. on his face i don't know maybe it would just be disruptive to his life it's probably not a very good one i actually really like that one and he'd also be like why the fuck am i having to shave my head so fast all the time <laughs> that's literally all i could think of sorry that's a good one. Don't apologize. That's a fucking solid one. I've had people that couldn't figure out a prank and then some people couldn't even figure out a purse. And I was like, bro, come on. You can't figure out somebody to prank. Like this guy, like just say fucking Jesus. Like people have pranked Jesus on the show. <laughs> like, That's pretty fucking good. Yeah. They're like, I'd love to go prank Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> what like, would be the, what would be the prank for Jesus? I don't know. Like cut his thong sandal. So he's walking and it fucking slips off. I don't know. Like I can't remember what somebody said for Jesus. Um, but it was, but I've had a couple people want to prank Jesus. I've had people want to prank Hitler. I've had people want Hitler, but I think, you know, if you're going to prank Hitler, it's got to result in death. And is that, <laughs> right. is that, is that late level? You know, is that really a prank anymore if the person dies? <laughs> is it, when does it become from a prank to homicide? <laughs> right? I, you know what I, you know what I suppose you could do is you could, you could prank Hitler and make his birth certificate and the fact that he's half Jewish, like publicly known. Yeah, that would be dope. <laughs> That'd be and then, funny. you know, whatever happens from there happens from there. That's not your problem. <laughs> there you go. Now you got two pranks. See, Mike, yeah. you're good at this. You're good I at guess this. I, I like yeah, it. okay. I, was, I thought I was going to struggle with this one. <laughs> well, man, it's, it's a blast having you on here already. And I want to dive into this because there's a lot of uh, men out there. And today I talk about a lot being elite, right? And obviously mm -hmm. where we, our pedigree is elite and there's a high standard there. And we're one of the very few units that you can get kicked out of if you're not to the standard. And so with all that being said, you know, I hear a lot of guys today, they want to do more, they want to be better, whether it's for themselves, whether it's for their wives or their kids, but they struggle with trying to find any type of level of accountability and finding eliteness. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, as far as building a character around that, how can we talk to men about kind of where that even comes from in us, like in the pedigree of being a ranger, where that even came from to even draw out how to be elite. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And I mean, uh, um, we can actually make this super brief. Um, just put in the work. All right. End of the podcast. All right. Cool. <laughs> hey, it was great having me on. Thank you. <laughs> no, hey, you know, and, and you know, I'll come back to that. It, it, that is such a great question. Um, because, you know, when we talk about elite, you know, and we talk, you know, and it's it's hard not to, you know, take it and put it in the, you know, the military aspect. You know, we look at Navy SEALs, we look at Delta Force, we look at Ranger Regiment, SF, you know, and, you know, you're going to talk about elite or you're going to talk about some kind of sports, um, you know, and those are finite skills, but they're also skills that don't always translate into the civilian world. So I think an important part, if you want to be a lead at something or you want to be committed to something, you probably should find something that is up your wheelhouse, meaning that you actually enjoy. Because if you're just if you're just throwing yourself at something and committing yourself and putting in the work like I previously mentioned, well, that's going to be a lot of times. And if you're going to actually make yourself miserable in the process, then why are you doing it? 
Now, it doesn't mean that necessarily, you know, you're not going to suffer. I mean, suffering is part of the process as well, you know, and you're going to have to struggle yeah. through it, but it should be something that you enjoy. And, you know, it's kind of funny, uh, and I apologize, hopefully, uh, you know, I don't, I don't offend you and maybe some of your audience, but a lot of people, when they get out of the military specifically, you know, and they want to try to can maintain that elite status, there's a couple of different things that they do. One, they grow a beard and they grow their hair out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I, to, I, I did. To, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to offend you. Uh, they, take, they, they take up archery and they take up guns, and then usually they, you know, commit themselves to you know broing out in the gym, and those are all great things. And yeah. don't get me wrong, physical fitness should be the cornerstone of anybody's life, um, just because of longevity, if nothing else. But find yeah. something that you actually enjoy doing. Find something that is that is something that when you have to suffer through the process and you have to motivate yourself to do it, that you you actually know that you're going to enjoy the task itself. Not always. Some days you just got to kind of suck it up and do it, um, but you're going to enjoy it. Um, and, you know, kind of like I talked to my kids about, um, you know, sports and other activities, you know, in and out of school, like try a lot of different things because I think you're going to be surprised. Um what you what you like and i don't want you to just align against something because you think that that's what i want you to do you know i don't mm -hmm. want my kids to ever join the military because they think i want them to join the military i want them to join the military uh, because that's what they want to do and they have a draw to it for whatever kind of reason because at the end of the day they're going to be the one that's going to have to put the work in to be successful in the military so they better have you know a good alignment base as far as a, you know a desire goes um, you know, one, my oldest son, and I still don't, I have no idea where he got this from, but he is absolutely passionate about brass instruments. And he plays three different brass okay. instruments, trombone, tuba, and trumpet. And he is all state in two different states. And, you know, he's like in some semi-final thing. I don't, I don't really totally understand it, um, where he's going to represent, you know, the nation, you know, doing it. Wow. And it's That's just true. because he just tried some things. And then all of a sudden he just found out like, wow, I love this. I'm really good at it. And, you know, he's just taking it off. Now, don't get me wrong. Me as his father, he's 6'5", 260 pounds. He belongs in football. <laughs> he belongs playing basketball. <laughs> but it's not what he wants to do. So, okay, cool. Let's pull this string. Mm -hmm. Let's see where it goes. So when you talk about being elite, if you if your job doesn't require it, you know, when we talk about Ranger Regiment or any of these other things, being elite or being proficient, being good, that was because that was our job. Our lives, others' lives, everybody, the organization and a whole counted on our ability and our proficiency in those said tasks. So we I don't I mean we have a choice. We always have a choice, but yeah. that just made sense. It doesn't mm -hmm. you're a civilian or now you're retired. That doesn't mean that it just needs to be those things because you think that's the expectation that everybody has for you. Mm, I, I, one thing you said in here, and I think I would love to expand on this. You said your son was trying a couple things and then found out that he really enjoys this brass instruments. And where is it with men that we freaking at some point in our life stop trying shit? Because I think that's where the failure to even become elite. Like we think like, oh, we want to be elite. So like, how do I do this? But then we don't want to try anything new. We don't want to figure out yeah. like what you said. We don't want to figure out what, maybe there's something out there that we truly do love waking up every day, even when it's a shitty day with it, we still love it. So what is it with men as we get older that we are so afraid to try new shit? I think, I think it's two things. I think it's societal expectations of what we think defines being a man. Um, um and, and what, you know, okay, in order to be a man. Oh, you know what? The other one that I forgot, uh, jujitsu. Oh, okay. I gotta, I gotta get into jujitsu. And tattoos. The, and ta okay. Tattoo. <laughs> Actually, those are really nice tattoos, by the way. Great, great, Thanks, great bro. line work. Yeah. Great line work. Thanks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think there's an element of that is that we, you know, we have this expectation that, okay, to be a man, then we've got to be good at said tasks, you know, fighting, shooting, you know, physically fit and all this stuff. And it's not necessarily that those are wrong, um, but those things don't have to be our driving force. So I think that's one element of it, but trying new things, it's comfort zone. 
Mm-hmm. We get comfortable with the things that we're doing, the schedule that it dictates, and we just go through it because anything out of that is going to have to get us out of our comfort zone and get us doing different things. I mean, think about this. Okay. When did you start this podcast? Oh man, this is back in like 2018. Okay. 2018. So, and I started my first podcast, a unit podcast back in 2019. Okay. If you would have asked either of us in 2015, if we'd be running a podcast, we'd be hosting a podcast. We both would have laughed our asses off. Like, no way. 100%. Like, no way. No way. Why would I do that? Like, yeah. come on. No, no. I got other things to do. But we took the first leap, whatever that was. I'm, you know, maybe your story is different than mine, but we took the first leap. Um, we kind of gutted through it. We figured some things out. We learned some lessons. And here we are, you know, many, many years later you know, be a podcast host. And, you know, from everything I've, you know, listened to yours, you're great at it. You're phenomenal about it. You put the work in that. though, you know, but you had to take a leap and you had to get out of your comfort zone. Um, mm-hmm. I know I did. I mean, I'm used to talking in front of people, but a podcast is a very different thing, especially when it's exists for everybody and it's available to the general public and it's out there for everybody to judge and hate you and calling, you know, it the art of masculinity, man, you're opening yourself up to some things, you know, there's a lot of risk. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very true. And I definitely wouldn't have, and I appreciate that by the way. Um, and it definitely was terrifying, man. It's not something that like, you know, we're putting ourselves out there and men in general, we don't want to be criticized and especially publicly. And then guys like us that have this alpha personality, we don't want to be criticized and not be able to fight back. And you can't really, when you're doing the podcast, because if you start calling people out on your podcast, you just look like an asshole. So it's kind of like, it's, it it does have that, but to, to your point, it's the fact that we tried something new. I think there is that level of confidence that we have in adaptability, which I think it goes hand in hand with eliteness, where I think a lot of men really struggle because they're not confident in who they really are. They've lost that at some point in their life. So they can't really come intact with that adaptability to say, hey, man, if this all blows up and goes to shit, I can still be successful or I can still have fun, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so when we look at this, it's it's Okay. How do we get guys to really see themselves in the same light? Because there was, in reality, was there anything special about us? I mean, we we just no. fucking worked our asses off, right? No, it was, was, yeah, and it was the organization that made us special. What I mean is right. we were constantly challenged by those who are left and are right and the expectations we placed on ourselves and the expectations they placed on us. Mm-hmm, 100%, 100%. And that's where I try to tell guys, and this is where I think we can take it as well, is like, Hey, if you look at yourself in the mirror and just understand that perseverance is there and understand that if you find like what you said, you find something that you can attach to, there's that ability to really find your own elite level in something out there and be adaptable and be confident in the man that you are. But as guys are really shifting later in life, we're finding that to be a struggle and you're entering retirement here pretty soon Mm -hmm. from the military. Are you seeing that from either men that you've kind of grown up with in the military who are already out still struggling with that transition to find something that they can be elite in again. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, and I've had my own kind of struggles with it, you know, ask myself the question of what's next, you know, and what, what am I really postured to do? I think I'm a little bit more fortunate um, than some people that are making the transition because I have an entire identity that exists outside the military, mm. you know, with the podcast blogs, writing and all the different stuff and leadership series that I run. Like, you know, I've, I don't want to say that uh, like defines me, but I've kind of found my voice and I've found another side of myself that I didn't know was there. Um, and a lot of it does, you know, play fairly well into my military experiences as well. But, you know, kind of coming back to your point is, you know, the loss of, loss of confidence. Um, I think that there's an element of that that ties to, one, you know, what you were talking about. But then also, you know, when we talk about transitioning veteran as well, is you got to stop lying to yourself, you know, and be truthful, you know, with what, you know, your skills or, you know, your passions truly are. And then, you know, diving into those things head first and try and don't be something you're not, if you're not that person. I mean, I love to shoot. I do. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up, you know, I've been, you know, firing guns since I was, you know, eight, 10 years old. Like, 
you know, we used to have, I used to have a, a gun rack in my truck and we'd go hunting during lunch hour at school. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I just grew up that way. Um, but am I overly passionate about shooting? No, not really. I mean, yeah. I'll enjoy it, but I'm not going to sit there and go out of my way and, you know, go through a bunch of coordinations just for an opportunity to shoot stuff. I'll do it and I remain proficient at it, but, you know, shooting tournaments and doing stuff like that, like it's fun, but it's, you know, it's, it, it I've been doing it for so long. It's just, you know, I grew up with a very different mentality. You know, I don't want to say that we had to hunt to survive where I grew up. It wasn't like that, but it was just a normal part of life. There was nothing special about it. My gun, my dad kept guns in my living room that weren't even under lock and key. And all of my yeah. sister's brothers, like we just, that was just normal. Like guns were just part of life, you know, and we had guns, you know? So my point is, is, you know, just, you know, not, you know, you don't need to try to be something you're not. Be truthful with yourself. Ask the hard questions. And I've had to do that as I transition. And a lot of people do, you know, they they want to immediately have that feeling that the military provides them, that, that brotherhood, sisterhood, that sense of belonging, the sense of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And the stark reality is, is you're not going to find it. Even if you do contracting, you know this. Okay, you know, yeah, I mean, they're all military people, but was it exact same as being in the 75th? No, not at all, you know, and there's different reasons for that, you know, um, but, you know, so a lot of people go out and they try to, you know, do those different kind of things and they don't get the same satisfaction. Well, you got to be honest with yourself that, hey, it's going to be different. Life's mm -hmm. going to be different. You are forever changed because of the experiences you had while wearing the uniform and that's okay. But how did you grow from them? How did you learn from them? And how are you going to, what are you going to take with that and maybe redefine yourself in the civilian sector? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, that's a, that's a big question because, you know, a lot of men that I help and guys who've reached out to me, they struggle with that transition because of identity, that connection to the identity in the military. I mean, one of my clients that I've been working with recently he's about ready to retire as well and he's struggling with that identity struggling with what the departure looks like from the military so what do we say to people because this isn't just a military thing either. Yeah. either it's, it's yeah a, it's everybody's a, going through transitions yeah absolutely yeah so what do you say to them mike like what what is something that you have taken from yourself that you've experienced recently as you're approaching your transition yeah um reflection um, you know, and I know I've heard you, you know, talk multiple times about, you know, your meditation, you know, routine and how you meditate. But I would also add that, you know, another thing is, is spending time reflecting mm -hmm. and reflecting on your time in service and the major pivot points that you've had to do. Everybody's had to pivot throughout their life in the military, out of the military. It doesn't matter. There's been changes and forks in the road that, in some cases, you've had to completely redefine yourself. You've had to become a different person on the backside, but you grew in the process. You learned some lessons in the process and taking those and articulating them over time and, 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 and using that as an ability to kind of define the things that you want to do going forward. And what are the trends and kind of the rhyme and the reason between all those different kind of things um, so that you can kind of pave a way and don't be afraid you know, and this, this is tough because of finances, you know, um, it's not always easy for somebody to just say, okay, well, when you transition out of this job, take a couple months and kind of figure out some people just can't do that, you know, yeah. um, which, you know, Hey, maybe that's part of it as well Is maybe in your time, but leaving up to transition, you need to posture yourself in such a way financially that you can give yourself some breathing space so that when you do finally end your last day on whatever the job is, you have a little bit of space so you're not rushing to the first thing that becomes available. You know, and that's, as I transition out, I want to make sure that I create that space that I don't have to immediately rush into something. I got a little space so I can breathe and I can go, okay, wow, 24 years committing my life and all of who I am and sacrificing, you know, a significant portion of my life um, that defined me. For a very long period okay what do i want to do next and how do i want to do it you know and i want to create this space so that i have that ability to kind of breathe into it um because we just rush from thing to thing to thing because you know we have to provide for our families um you know we got to do these different things which is part of our responsibility but it 
it doesn't take long before you're 40, 50 years old. And you're like, what the flip did I do with my life? You know, um, yeah. am I happy with it? Am I happy with where I'm currently at? And the problems complicate themselves. And it gets harder and harder the older we get because you have kids, you have grandkids, you might have previous spouses, you know, you got other aging family members, you got all this different kind of stuff that's competing for your time and potentially your resources, um, you know, and so it just gets even more difficult to pivot. So, you know, especially for your longer, younger crowd. You know, one thing I talk to my kids about as far as college, don't go to college because you think you need to go to college. Don't go into the military because you think you need to go into the military. Let's have real conversations. Let's have real discussions about what's next and why you do it. And if you don't know, then how are we going to create an environment or maybe how are we going to do something where you can you can kind of try to kind of figure out that next step? Because you commit four years to college, you commit four, six years to the military, you're locked into that, man. And then all of a sudden you're in your mid 20s, you're on the back end of it. Now what's next? And some degrees, and we all see this, you know, we hear about it, you know, not all degrees equate to, you know, employment immediately following. Oh, yeah, I have three degrees and I use zero of them right now. So <laughs> that's a, that is 100% a fact, but that's that was beautifully said. And I think that's I, part of this, too, is um, you've you've hit on a couple things that are kind of leading me towards this question of following into how men can transition from a high level, like, for instance, when you're coming out of where you are, you have a, you have a high position. You've been a leader for a long, long time. And the civilian world sees us very differently in, than in the military. And they don't understand the positions we held and what that all entailed, especially coming from the special operations community. Right. And so for people that are really wrapped up in that identity for men and women who we see coming out of these high octane jobs that are taking that leadership and going into this next stage of life, you know, the question that I think comes up for a lot of them is if they're not given that same level of respect that they carried in the military or in that high octane lifestyle, how can they negotiate that to not, I guess, be offended or take it personally that derails their transition? Yeah. The military perpetuates that's just really bad because we get rank in the military and you automatically get an element of um, respect. Yeah. Um, just automatically. You know, I step into a room as a CSM and, you know, they're like, well, that's a CSM. You know, obviously, you know, that that um, translates into a level of respect. So first, I would say for those people currently serving still whatever the rank, whatever they do is one coming to the realization that, yeah, you're going to get that respect, but you need to earn it over time. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll say that, you know, and I'll say that in opening speeches or when I first meet people like you, hey, listen, okay, I got it. I'm a CSM, but it's my responsibility to earn your respect and to earn your trust. Um, and don't give me anything you wouldn't give anybody else. Okay. It, that is my responsibility as a leader and I will work. And I promise you, I will work to try to gain that over time. Um, so, you know, that's for the people that are currently in, but people that get out of the military, you know, you've got to understand that it's not going to be that way. Okay. Just because, you know, in some of the things that I do, just because I'm a CSM in the military and I contact, you know, Kim Scott, for instance, okay, to come on the podcast, you know, to, to allow me to interview her and talk about some of the things that she does. The fact that I'm a CSM, that doesn't mean anything. She didn't, she, and she knows a lot about the military, but it really doesn't mean anything because most of the time she talks to officers anyway. Um, but I've got to earn the right to build that rapport and, you know, in the dialogue and everything else so that we can have a very, very in-depth conversation and actually get her to, you know, sit down and record a podcast. She didn't just say yes. I had to call her. I had to work through her, you know, her agent and everything else and use language that was not military or the fact of, you know, who I was in order to, you know, get through that door. Now I will say, you know, some of my network and everything else definitely helped with that. But once I got through it and I was face to face with her, well, it was a phone call at first is what it was. It's on me. Mm -hmm. That got me yeah. there. 
but that's not going to get, and that's not going to kind of seal the deal, close the deal, so to speak. Um, but realizing that when you go out, you're going to have to earn every level of respect and trust that you have. People will say, thank you for your service. Okay, cool. Great. But after that, it doesn't matter anymore. You've got to show your worth. More importantly, you've got to show that you can assimilate to the cultural norms in society and translate your military experience into application uh, for them. You know, Matt Nyman, um, you know, we, who we had on season one of Always in Pursuit, um, you know, phenomenal individual, unfortunately, uh, was killed in an avalanche in Alaska. But he said it better than anybody that I've ever heard. You know, when he was talking about his transition out from from the unit, you know, into the civilian world and the corporate world and some of the things that he was doing, he's like telling a war story like people were like, wow, that's unbelievable. Like they loved it. Now let's talk about business. Like it didn't you know, it, it got him some respect. It probably got him some attaboys and some street credit, but it didn't matter in the business context. You know, and he's like, and I watched because he's like the company he was working for, there was another veteran that was working alongside of him as well. And the veteran was always trying to tie things back to military principles or combat deployments. And it didn't take long. And eventually the guy was, you know, let go because mm -hmm. he it, it didn't work. They were cool stories. Everybody loved them. But eventually it kind of reached a point where people were like, what's that got to do with anything, man? You know, we don't we don't we don't communicate in that way. We communicate that in the military. The fact that I've been deployed a multitude of times and I got all these things on my uniform, like people are like, wow, that's amazing. But that's because that's the environment that I'm in. I'm in the military. People appreciate that stuff. The civilian world, they might appreciate it, but it's not going to give me credibility working for Microsoft. Mm -mm, no. And as soon as you stop wearing that uniform day in and day exactly. out, too. It disappears, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it, it's that's a really you just laid out some great points there, especially for that transition. Is that you got to earn that respect, and I think this is where um, some of the failure comes in. Is people think that because they spent twenty years earning that respect or getting given that respect and whatever whatever job they were doing, that when they get out, they don't have to go back and get it again. They don't. They don't want to start from ground zero or ground five, right? When they were up at 25. So yeah. that I think becomes a conflict within their own psyche on how they process transitioning out to whatever that civilian life is. But with leadership, what are some of the key attributes that you, that you would want to pass on to men that listen just and this, this isn't talking about anybody that's elite. This is talking about, you know, guys that are just everyday dudes that are just looking to be better in whatever capacity, but as leaders, because I get this question a lot. Leadership is a big thing that men um, coincide with masculinity, which I think inherently there is a level of continuity between the two. But when we talk about it, you know, it's guys struggle to have that because inherently not every guy has experienced it. And I'm a firm believer leadership is a learned skill. So what are some, some things that you can hand off from your, you know, extensive years of experience being an amazing leader in 75th? Like, what are some things that you look at as leadership skills that translate everywhere across, you know, any type of life? Well, first, I appreciate the accolades. Um, and I will tell you that the formation of a lot of my leadership uh, principles and things that I believe as a leader and I teach as a leader is because I messed them up. I got it wrong. I got it wrong so many, so many times. Um, and I've learned lessons and I'm thick, you know, thick skulled. So sometimes, you know, I had to replicate, you know, lessons learned, you know, to try to kind of figure it out. Um, but when we talk about leadership as a whole, um, and I promise you that this is not just some cliche saying, um, there's actually points that I have to it. Um, the very first thing, whenever you talk about leadership, I talk about leadership in any kind of form. I don't, and I'm, I'm just telling you, you know, I talk to a multi-echelon of different kinds of people about this stuff is you've got to learn to lead yourself first. Mm. If you don't learn to lead yourself first and control yourself and know yourself, well, you, you're, you're never going to be able to lead others. You have to understand it so that you, you can truly show up as the best version of yourself. And you can also, you know, because it ties into your ability to be humble. 
to listen to others, to be an active listener, okay, to receive feedback, to be empathetic or sympathetic to individuals, to display emotional intelligence. You know, you notice I just used about six, you know, different buzzwords that surround leadership. But for all those different things, if you don't understand yourself, you're never, ever going to get there. What makes you tick, you know? And as a leader specifically, you know, how are you preparing your mind? And what are you doing to prepare your mind for the leadership or the struggles and the adversity and the different things you're going to have to do? How are you actually coming up with a model that maximizes your time for self-improvement? Because a part of this is self-improvement. How are you improving yourself? And do you actually have a plan or are you just kind of haphazardly going through it? And then, you know, lastly is, you know, what's the, the feeding function for that? Meaning, you know, when you're trying to do self-improvement, okay, or you're trying to prepare your mind in these different kind of aspects, what's the feeding mechanism that comes back to tell you if it's actually raising your level of performance or your level as a leadership? And the best way to honestly do it is one, the people that you lead, asking them for their candid feedback, you know, so that you can try to self-improve, but then also mentorship, you know, and because, you know, when I talk about mentorship, you know, and I try to mentor people, a big, a big piece of that is, is listen, I can help you. I can coach you. I can give you some tools. I can give you some insights. I can tell you some stories. But if you don't internalize that, process it yourself, and then find a way to apply it in your life, then there's no point in us having this conversation. There's no point in me bestowing this stuff on you because it's just going in one ear and out the other. And I can't actually do the work for you. Mm-hmm. I can in some facets of the military. And I have, I've had to do the work for subordinates, you know, when they're failing to lead and show up the way they need to show up, but that's a very finite, you know, uh, demographic. That's not going to work most of the time. I can't, you know, fly out to Detroit to, you know, answer your, you know, answer your questions to the CFO or whatever, you know, I can't do that stuff. So the point being is, is, you know, you've, you've got to learn kind of those different principles and realizing that you just don't have all the answers just because you served 24 years in the military does not mean that you're going to be able to step into this job in the civilian world and know exactly what to do and how to do it because there's different language, there's different conversations. So are you becoming a student of the process? Are you actually listening to others and try to figure out the way they communicate, why they communicate, why the priorities are what the priorities are that are very, very different than what you're in the military? Are you actually doing that stuff and, and taking the time to kind of, you know, write it down or, you know, put it somewhere so that you can go back and you can reflect on it and you can look at it and go, hey, okay, I'm pulling this to the forefront of my mind so that I can make sure that I'm doing this stuff. You know, I remember uh, a colonel that I was working with, he's a phenomenal friend of mine, and he's probably one of the best officer leaders I've ever worked for in my career. And when he got out of the military, he immediately went up and did like a two month internship uh, with a company, with a power company. Okay. And, you know, basically when he showed up, you know, this guy was super stoked to have him, Colonel army, you know, vet all these different kinds of things. He's like, Hey, I want you to basically like do an assessment of my company and talk about efficiency and how we can make things more efficient. And also how we can invest in our leaders. He's like, okay, yeah, absolutely. You know, and they give him unfeathered access. He had access to every meeting, everything, you know. So, you know, he's like, I'm sitting in meetings like those first couple of days and they're talking about things. And, you know, there was definitely some things that I just didn't understand what they were talking about. But he's like, oh, man, this is a big deal. Oh, man, this is a big deal. Oh, man, they need to work on this. They need to work on this. You know, and he's like, and before I knew it, you know, I had pages of notes. And then, you know, the president gets up and the vice president gets up, you know, to kind of give the closing comments to close out the meeting. And they they could give two shits about any of that. They didn't care about a thing that he thought was important because it was a completely different priority list. It was a completely different focus area. And he was like, those whole first six pages were useless because that's wow. not what was important to the civilian company in the power domain. They had completely things that they were focused on and metrics of how they measured that. He's like, so I instantly was like, okay, before I do another meeting, another interview, talk to another person, I'm going to go sit down with the president and the vice president, and I'm going to talk to them about what their priorities are, what their focus is, and what they deem as success. <clears throat> Sorry, for a foreign organization. Mm. 
Yeah, it's uh that's it's interesting to to think about that because you'd think he'd step in right and have all the answers and that's what they expected him to and he's like, uh, "Hey bro, <laughs> I'm a yeah. I'm a little lost in the sauce right now." I mean, if you always operate from a position that you're on the biggest learning curve of your life, you'll always be in a good position. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things even with entrepreneurship ever since I've taken this on, you know, for the last That's time. a whole different freaking <laughs> conversation. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like everything I've done in the military, you know, paramilitary protection and then working for the government and stuff. I feel like a newborn about every single day <laughs> with yeah. entrepreneurship. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I did read something though, you know, and maybe this is specific for veterans. Um, when they talk about veterans being entrepreneurs, um, one thing, you know, was in a recent book that I actually read. One thing that I talked about is veterans are very, very good at checklists and following checklists and, you know, structure manuals, so to speak. And they said that one of the best things that veterans can actually do is get into the franchise business because they're checklist. They tell you oh, exactly wow. they, and they do a lot of the work for you. I mean, you're going to have to work your butt off, but standing up at Jimmy John's man, they, they're going to do most of the work. They're going to come in and they're going to certify your team. You have to train it, but they're going to send trainers in to help you do that. And you just follow a checklist and then the checklist has the output and then the company's, you know, where it is. And then they have metrics for measurement, you know, as you're kind of going through for success and ways to improve if you're faulty in this area thing. But, you know, that's one thing that I talked about is the veterans are extremely successful in franchise because we're used to following checklists and rules. And there's not deviations because the hardest part about being an entrepreneur is what's next. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, and another thing that I read in that same book is, is you don't have to ask permission as an entrepreneur. Okay. You know, whatever your business podcast, blogging, you know, merchandise sales, whatever you're running, you don't have to ask anybody's permission. No one's going to tell you what to do. You've got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have a day where you're fucking just being a shit bag. Like you have no one to answer to except yourself, but you know, you know, yeah. you're a shit bag that day. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's true. That's really good. And that's really good about the franchise stuff. I didn't know that, but that actually makes a shit ton of sense. So that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. This book, it's called, uh, it's called mission first. It was rolled by uh, Phil Rodazio and uh, okay. Scott Maine. It's actually two books in one. Um, uh -huh. And the, the first part was pretty good, but the last part by Scott Maine, former SF guy, man, he says some things in there that were like, mind-blowing yeah. moments about veteran transition and i was like and that's actually what kind of got me over the hump of what am i do next is is his statement of you don't need anybody's permission to do what you want to do next and i was like oh shit you're right i don't i can do whatever yeah. i want yeah do you do you look at the next phase as um and let me see if I word this correctly, not like fear of any failure with something that's, that's not, that that's going to be new, but kind of, do you look at anything as kind of like having a fear of potential setbacks or not, not being at the standard that you've built for the last 24 years because you're starting new stuff? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a really, really good question. So let me answer it in two different ways. My biggest fear, you didn't ask this question, but I'm going to answer it. My biggest fear is being insignificant. Mm. That is my biggest fear. And it has been my biggest fear since I was a kid. I don't know why. I, maybe there's a lot of different dynamics that go into it. And, you know, we don't have enough time on the podcast for me to explain them all. Um, but that's my biggest fear. The next part of your question is no, not at all. Because... One, I know that going into the civilian world, I'm going to make myself extremely uncomfortable because I'm going to redefine myself. I'm going to do something that's going to be off the beaten path. And I'm going to do it in a way um, that's, I believe, really going to force me to work hard and to figure some things out. And I'm going to learn some damn hard lessons in the process because I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and I'm going to force it on myself to get out of my comfort zone because I need it. Um, because I, even though 24 years and I've had a lot of adversity and I've had a lot of things that I've already overcome, there's also been a semblance of comfort within it. Mm -hmm. um, so in order to really kind of meet my purpose and do what I want to do next, I needed to redefine myself. But I am extremely, I'm not arrogant. I'm not arrogant. 
I'm confident in my abilities to figure it out and to overcome it. And I'm going to make mistakes. I'm probably going to have some failures, but I'm going to grow and I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to pivot and I'm going to adapt and I'm going to keep on charging forward. Um, and so do I fear it? No, I, I have, I am confident in my ability to make shit happen and I will make it happen. I think and I'll do it. Right I'll now. do it my way too. I'm going to do it my way too. I want everybody to re-listen to like the last just few minutes of what you just said. That right there, the mindset, the confidence in the words, like everything you had right there is the epitome of what eliteness is. Like that's the, to me, that's the separation right there. That was elite and it wasn't cocky. It wasn't arrogant because there's a lot in there. If they go back and listen that they can pull out and be like, wow, someone with your pedigree, with your years of service, with your leadership ability, saying the things you just said and knowing that there's going to be hardship, knowing that you're willing to work, knowing that you're redefining like that right there. I just want to cut that out and have that as a highlight on my show from now on. That was fucking beautiful, dude. Oh my God. I appreciate that. That was really good. Like that's God, that gave me like goosebumps like that right there. All you guys listening right now, go back and listen to the last few minutes that Mike, I mean the whole episode, but those last few minutes, that was fucking absolutely epic, dude. Uh, well, one, I want to ask you another question and it's a little okay. off of what we've been going on okay. uh, as we're kind of winding down here. But, you know, one of the things that you have done is you've been successful in your, your marriage and with your kids for all these years. And it's uh, really tough to do in the military. And I think in general today, we're seeing a lot of struggle with men and relationships and family life. And is because of the fact that you've been such a high level leader in a very tough environment, you've been to combat, you've, you've been away from the family, you've been back with the family, you've had all this that you've gone through. Is there some things you can pass off to men or maybe one or two, one or two big things that you've learned over the years that can give guys insight to how to kind of make it through maybe tough times and not just give up or, you know, yeah. be somebody who can show up for his family. Yeah. What a timely question too. Cause like <laughs> literally, literally I was uh, briefing a uh, new captains. Um, so mid-level leaders and the officer and, uh, you know, so I was doing a brief, I was talking about leadership, I was telling some things that I wish I had known, blah, 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 all this different stuff. And one asked a question about marriage. Mm -hmm. And I got to be honest with you, in all the leadership discussions, I've never had anybody ask me about marriage, ever. Yeah. Man, it it took me a minute. And I almost, you know, I told him, you know, when I was talking, I was like, I kind of want to call my wife. <laughs> like, I want to like actually kind of bring her into the fold on this conversation because I'm, I'm struggling. And then, you know, so I answered the question. I think I did a good job answering the question, but since then, you know, and this goes into the thing, you know, that I've been talking about, I've reflected on it since. And I've come to this realization, especially when we talk about men and the societal pressure that is put on us as men to be providers, to always being, you know, you even said it a couple of times in this episode, pushing yourself, challenging yourself, being elite, striving for more and all these different kind of things. Shit, man, it's a lot of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. how am I supposed to be excellent at my job? Okay. As a brigade sergeant major, you know, how am I supposed to do that job justice? Also at the same time, juggle four children. Okay. And raising them, especially as they get into the teen years, maintain my marriage. Oh, and by the way, trying to run a business on the side, develop myself. It's a lot of stuff and it's a lot of time. And what it equates to is sacrifice. Mm. And what I mean is, is you're going to have to sacrifice at times. Sometimes it's just as simple as yourself. You sacrifice sleep, you sacrifice food, whatever it might be. Okay. Or personal time so that you can be there for everybody else when you need to be. Uh, but that only works for so long. And then eventually you kind of just need the time because you're just running yourself ragged. And so the point is, is you have to be deliberate about the sacrifices that you're making and you're asking others to make in your relationship and in your work and other areas. And I've had to get really, really good at this. Um, running a podcast that's called Always in Pursuit, implies that I'm always in pursuit as the runner of the podcast and the blog and the newsletter and all these different kind of things. And there reached a point where I almost had a mental breakdown because I was just, I was overextending myself. I could not do all the things I was trying to do. 
And what I ended up having to do to communicate to my team was, hey, some sacrifices are going to have to be made. Either I'm going to have to, you know, uh, pivot a little bit. I'm going to have to put some more burden on everybody else's shoulders so that we can make this work. Um, but something needs to give. And also at the same time, communicating to my wife, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's why I'm trying to do it. Here's how it's aligned with my passions and my purpose in life um, and what I want to try to accomplish. So that's going to mean, you know, at 6.30 at night, I'm going to be on a podcast, um, you know, during the weekday. But here's why. And just, and it doesn't, you're not going to get like acceptance. My wife wasn't like, oh, okay. Yeah, cool. Great. Do what you need to do. Bullshit. No, <laughs> no, she wasn't like that, you know, and rightfully so. Same with the kids. You know, they're like, well, you just worked all day. You literally left for work at four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning. You got home, you said hi, and now you're on a podcast. Like what the heck, man, what gives? So when we're asking people to make sacrifices, you need to communicate it. The why, not just doing it to do it for the sake of doing it, because you're trying to do something for your family. You're trying to do something for yourself. And if at times you're just simply saying, I'm doing something for me because I need it, then communicate it and mm -hmm. don't, don't sit there and expect them to go. Okay. Cause they probably won't. It, it, it takes a lot of repetition, you know, and a lot of time. I mean, it, you know, been married for a long time and, you know, there's still times where I tell my wife, like, Hey, I'm going on this bike ride. Um, you know, uh, and by bike, I mean, road bike or mountain bike, you know, I, yeah. I don't own a, I don't own a motorcycle anymore. <laughs> um, but, uh, I'm doing it because I just need the time that uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's great for my physical fitness and all this stuff, but I just kind of need the time. I need the time by myself, like just to think and process some things and stuff like that, you know, and she knows that doesn't always agree with it. Doesn't always like it, but I'm basically asking her to sacrifice time with me on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, because I want to go and do this selfish thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And that's, I think that's very important for guys to realize because there is that level of it's not martyrdom, but sacrifice in some of the areas of their life to make sure that they can still connect with the family and bond with them. Brother, this has been an amazing, amazing time, man. I've enjoyed um, it. I, dude, this has been so much fun just catching up with you, but also you just dropping words of wisdom and nuggets through your long career and just the experience you've had in life. It's just been amazing, man. So I appreciate you. Can you let everybody know where the best place to find you, follow you, be part of your ecosystem and everything else? And we'll tag everything in the show notes, brother. Yeah. So, I mean, the easiest way to find me on all social media platforms is just Mike S. Burke, um, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. You're on um, TikTok, like, bro? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. I started a leadership. I started a leadership series on there. Yeah, I know. Um, and, uh, you know, Instagram. And then you can find, you know, the two podcasts, the the brands that we run, uh, Legends of the 75th on Facebook and LinkedIn. And then all is always and then also always in pursuit uh, podcast um, where there's a whole team construct behind that um, on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Awesome, brother. Well, I appreciate you so much. Your last question real quick is what does the art of masculinity mean to you? This is a, this is a good question. And he, you know, you gotta, you gotta answer it in the right way. Otherwise you might get hate mail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, sure. and it honestly, I think, it goes into everything that we've talked about through this whole episode. And by the way, Johnny, you've done an amazing job. And real quick, you know, you know what? I'm going to take one more minute if I can. <laughs> yeah. No, hey, man, you know, uh, third party edification. Most people that are listening to this probably don't know who I am. And most people think that they know Johnny. And they do. They do to a certain degree. But here's the other thing you need to know about this man. This man is a fucking warrior through and through. He was in 75th Ranger Regiment. When you talk about one of the most transformational times in an organization from 2001 to 2009, and he was a part of this. And he was part of the transition when we found ourselves from a very single thing that we were doing to a multi-domain thing we were doing. And we were keeping pace with the elite elements. And in some ways, we outpaced them in volume on some of the most complicated, difficult, volatile targets in the global war on terrorism. And this guy was a team leader and a squad leader for it. So if you ever were looking for somebody to have your six when you're going through the breach, Johnny L. Salser is a guy. Appreciate you, brother. Or in Daytona. No? Right. Yeah. 
I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about that. Thank you so much, brother. That means a lot to me. It really does. All right. So defining the art of masculinity. This is what came to mind when I thought of it. When your purpose and your passion aligns so that you can be the leader slash role model, you need to be for others. Mm, I love that one. That's one people should put in a quote and put that on their wall. That's a fun <laughs> I love that. Well, brother, again, this has been so amazing. You are obviously a special human being. I have the utmost respect for you in so many different capacities, more than I can explain to the people listening to the show. Uh, but you know that. So I appreciate you so much. You're doing great things in the world. I cannot wait to see how the transition goes. I know I'll be alongside and, and be there to support you in whatever way I can. And um, everybody else, check the show notes, follow Mike. Go check out his podcast. Amazing stuff. Obviously, you guys can tell how amazing he is on a show himself. So it'll be really good to listen to those. And to everybody listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble. Until next time, guys. Peace.